CBS Monday. NCIS. Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Violent Island, they got here. Walking to paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii, Monday, starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Good morning. It is Tuesday, April 6th. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. So we had conditioned you all to prepare for Thursdays to be our recruiting Thursday in which we would run the latest episode from the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast in this feed for the College Football Daily. But we're changing that up just for this week. We're going to call it Recruiting Tuesday. It still makes a ton of sense since Tuesday and Thursday both start with T. We're doing this move for a few reasons, a scheduling for later in the week, and also because I really like today's episode of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast hosted by Blair Angulo with Bud Elliott joining to talk about a little trend to watch in the class of 2023 with the commitment numbers. So we had our 2023 top 247 rankings last Wednesday. There aren't many players committed. Is that expected? Is it a surprise? Bud Elliott's going to help Blair Angulo break it all down. Enjoy. Good. Welcome back to another edition of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. My name is Blair Angulo. I hope everyone had a great holiday weekend. It is the spring and we are going into official visits. Apparently, it sounds like the dead period will be lifted to begin June. So we've got a lot of content over at 24-7 Sports. We've got Kamari Rogers announcing a top six. You want to get the inside scoop there from Steve Wolfong. Make sure you check out 24-7 Sports. Got a lot of other stuff going on camp seasons showcases events elite 11 and we've got bud elliott national recruiting analyst for 24 7 sports on the line to discuss a lot of the stuff that's going on right now and a lot of the stuff that isn't happening right now bud how are we doing blair what's going on man early morning for you on the west coast it is, it is. But when Bud Elliott comes calling, you know, you got to pick up and uh, you got to hop on the podcast line. So thank you for for hopping on the line with us this this week to kick off this week. And we've got a couple topics to discuss. Let's start with the stuff that isn't happening. So the 2023 class, just over a dozen prospects have committed and everyone might wonder, is that low? Is is that kind of normal? You know, obviously there hasn't been visits. So this group, which at this moment are sophomores or at the end of their sophomore year academically, those guys haven't had the full recruiting experience that, that the other classes have had uh, ahead of them, um, at least up to this point. And so to only have 15 prospects in that class committed right now, th- that would seem a, a bit low. Yeah, I, I initially I thought, okay, this is this is pretty low. We we, we just dropped our our twenty twenty three class recruiting rankings, and I, I know in the was it the recruiting meeting or the, or the group text, we said, hey, Steve, are you going to write the where the top uncommitted players in the class of twenty twenty three are leaning? And Steve's response was, well, they're basically all uncommitted, right? And so it, it kind of got me wondering, um, and I wrote this on Friday on twenty four seven Sports, like how low is fifteen for? you know, the class of 2023 compared to prior years. So you got to really look back a couple of years here because you remember these guys are just finishing up, you know, their their sophomore seasons that they're or their sophomore years. They're rising juniors at this point. So honestly, the class of 2019 at this time, they only had 10. Class of, of 2021 only had 14. 
Class of 2022, only seven. So we're actually not far behind on, on 2023. And, and Blair, this kind of gives me hope that I think 2023 might be the real class where we get back to sort of a normal cycle. Like 22, we're happy we're going to get visits, as you just said. There's going to be a little more normalcy in the 22 class, but they're still behind from an evaluation standpoint because they didn't get to see these guys at camp last summer, really at all. I mean, they're, they're, they're looking at the same stuff that, that we're looking at as opposed to getting these guys on our own campuses, putting them through the paces and, and their own drills. 2023, though, I, I think is the real class that's going to get back to a normal recruiting type cycle. We're joined by Bud Elliott. He's a college football recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. Now, whenever we have you on the podcast, I know it's going to be a deep thinking podcast, and we're going to go kind of layers and layers into things. And one thing that I think really has affected the, the recruiting numbers, and I guess the perception of it, is because for the 2022 class, the numbers have been a bit low up to this point as well. And in terms of what we think... A recruit and kind of their timeline goes in. We just know that the 2023 group is going to be one that that has to look at available scholarships, right? The 2022 class, a lot of these guys have to jump on an offer right now because of the scholarship numbers, the restrictions, the, the number that a specific school will be at given the, the super seniors, given the, the guys that are coming back, given the red shirts and, and all that. I, I think the 2023s now look at an opportunity and you know maybe everyone is still waiting until they get more offers before they commit there's been no camps there's been no showcases on campus for these recruits to go and and prove themselves in front of coaches there's also been no coaches evaluating in person unless they have a son or you know a family member that they're going out to see at a camp and they get to see other players at that same event uh you know that i know they're not going to be looking the other way but there hasn't been that level of in-depth analysis when these offers are going out so with no offers going out it's kind of tough for some of these guys to come off the board as well exactly right and and a lot of these schools really just don't feel the need to rush i mean they're, they're going to extend offers to the players about whom they feel are are no doubt studs right but some of these offers being extended are are sort of the the non-committable offers or the hey this is committable if you come to our camp or if you come to our campus and we, we eyeball you we talk to you, we think you're an actual fit for our program in, in person. I mean, most of these relationships, or, or all of them at this point, I guess for the most part, have been built over Zoom. So we are a little bit behind in the 2022 pacing, which is interesting. You know, last year's 2021 pacing, kids were committing left and right because they were worried that like, they, they were never going to go visit campuses and they basically wanted to to hold their spots. And they, a lot of them committed to places they had never visited, many more so than, than we normally have. I really thought we were going to have a huge decommitment season once visits opened up, which, uh, you know, you said deep thinking, <laughs> but I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think deep enough there, right? <laughs> Cause yeah. of, you know, visits never opened up. So like we are a little bit behind in 22. I, I think we will see a, a pretty big explosion with 2022 commits over the summer. If I had to look, I mean, we only have what one, two, three, four school, five schools with Rutgers now. You know, or no, six Cincinnati, excuse me, I'm just scrolling down our list, you know, that have double-digit commitments. I, I think you know, by, by the end of summer, that number will, will probably double, if, if not triple. We'll have a lot of schools that have double-digit commits. They'll have had kids on their campus in some form or fashion. And I mean, they might be able to get off campus a little bit and, and do some recruiting as well and, and do some evaluation. 
We released the top 24-7 for the 2023 class, like you mentioned earlier last week on Wednesday. If you want to check out all the content that's still up on 24-7 Sports, and and obviously the rankings are, are available as well. I, I think a lot of coaches and a lot of recruiters are hesitant at the moment because there, there's no need to rush on this class, on the 2023 group. You know, in 2021, when we were in the the heat of the pandemic and you know obviously there wasn't a lot of activity i think they could trust the two or three years of film that had that had already been established right or or trusted a prior evaluation when they saw the player as maybe as as a sophomore or as a junior the 2022 group we're we're seeing it now that's the one we're living in currently there's been no in-person contact with these players for quite a while I mean it's been over a year since anyone must have seen someone either on campus or you know at a game or or during the fall of their freshman season so these are players that haven't really established that connection with, with coaches. So we would expect the, the numbers there to be a, a bit low. How do you think the summer could go for the 2023 class in terms of an explosion? Do you feel like maybe we'll see more commitments than we see ever before? Because kids have been kind of, you know, in a, in a way chained up, right? They haven't been able to get out and and, and go and, and be free and go see some of these schools. And, and do you feel like maybe uh, it's kind of like unleashing a kid in, in a candy store? store and telling them to, to get whatever he wants. I, I think you're, you're exactly right about that. I mean, think about how excited you were to go out and, and see a camp once we were finally able to uh, you know to do so with, with, with some of the travel restrictions lifted, rather. These kids have, have been locked up, like you said, unable to go out and, and, and take visits to schools or at least unable to go out and meet these coaches. I mean, it, it's it's pretty rare that you, you talk to a kid at these camps and he's like, yeah, I, I've been to this school and I met their coaches. I'm like, wait, when? He's like, oh, it was uh, after my freshman season. I was like, oh, okay. Is that the staff? Like, is that staff even still there? Like, you know, there's a lot of coaching turnover. Like, yeah, a couple of them are. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, so I, I think you will probably see a lot of kids who get caught up in the moment and and make some summer decisions really based on the first or second place they visit or when they take their first bus trip. And that's fine, right? Like schools throw out all these offers. They, they have to you know be somewhat willing to take some of these these commits, even if it is pretty early. And Blair, I think one of the main factors that will we'll see going forward as to how many commits schools push for is the roster limitations. We, we actually don't have a ruling yet from the NCAA because the schools haven't really voted on this as to will the super seniors that get to come back because everybody who was on a roster in 2020, they got that free COVID year basically. So if you were a senior in 2020, if you want to come back, you're still a senior in 2021. Now in 2021, you know, for this year, you don't count against the 85 cap if you're one of those super seniors. So schools can technically carry, you know, 85 scholarships plus however many super seniors you have. So I think some schools have like 12 kids back. So they're carrying like 85 plus 12, that's 97 scholarships. But we don't actually have a ruling as to whether those super seniors in future years, so the kids who want to come back in 22 as super seniors or the kids who want to come back in 23 as super seniors. We don't actually have a ruling on that if they will count against the 85. Because if they count against the 85, we have a big-time scholarship crunch coming. If they don't, then I think you're going to see schools greenlight a lot more kids. A lot of schools are a little bit reluctant to greenlight a whole bunch of commitments right now simply because they don't want to have to essentially cut or force decommits from a lot of of these kids later on down the road because they don't know. I feel like this is maybe 
a discussion for another podcast, but I think the discrepancy there is what what's to say that a sophomore season is less important than a senior season, right? So I think there's a lot of ramifications there if if you designate, oh, you know, you, the 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 2020 season was your sophomore year. You know, we know it's kind of important, but it's not as important as it would be if you were a senior, right? So I, I think if I had to make an argument, I would be on the side of all the years count the same. If you're a freshman, you could have made just an, just as big of an impact and maybe raised your NFL stock just as much as if you would have been a, a senior. You know, how, how can you really maybe designate that and, and say it's not important? And and to give some of these other players an extra year is is a bit unfair if everyone was on campus dealing with the same circumstances. So maybe that's the holdup. Maybe that's why a lot of colleges right now and coaches are, are you know, being a little hesitant and being a little... I want to say uh, maybe a little kind of conservative with with the offers that are going out, not knowing what the, like you said, the roster numbers are going to look like. So a lot of very interesting stuff there. Uh, you can check out the content piece, the the content item from Bud Elliott over at 24-7 Sports. It is on the website this week. Blair, what, one thing, if I could, I, I think a lot of this, I mean, I agree with you, man. Like they should not count against the cap. The, the schools should be able to go above and beyond if they want. But I think what people have to remember is like every school, their vote counts the same. So, you know, Alabama, North Carolina, like the schools that have plenty of money and could want to carry, you know, 100 guys if, if they wanted to, their vote counts the same as, I don't, I don't want to pick on some random G5, but like a lot of these group of five schools that are having to furlough employees and, you know, are telling their, their coaches already for this year, hey, look, like, yeah, I know those kids don't count against the NCAA's cap, but they count against our cap because we have our own budget for scholarships and like we don't have the money to pay for you know, 95 scholarships, right? We're, we're, we're going to cap you at 85. So I think a lot of these schools will hope that the NCAA, you know, via the school's votes, will say, hey, look, it's 85 flat. You got a, a one-year freebie for 2021, but in future years, you know about this, you can plan for this, et cetera. And if they do cap that, who really gets hurt is is a lot of these, these high schoolers who are, are going to have to go down a level you know, whether it's P5 to G5 or you know, maybe a couple of G5 kids having to play D1 AA or you know, FCS or go the JUCO route. I think that's that's exactly what's going to happen. And I feel like we're going to see an elevated level of play in, in some of these players. And, and then our rankings are not going to be as accurate as they have been in years past. So that's going to be another byproduct with uh, some G5 players getting drafted and, and us getting yelled at on the message boards. <laughs> we'll be back more with Bud Elliott here on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. It's Masters Week, and that means CBS Sports HQ is your home for round-the-clock coverage from Augusta. That includes tournament picks, round-by-round matchups, highlights, leaderboard updates, and we even have our pal from the First Cut podcast, Kyle Porter, on site providing up-to-the-minute updates so you'll know everything there is to know from Augusta. If you're wondering what CBS Sports HQ is, it's our 24-7, 365 days-a-year sports news network. 
How do you get it? It's easy. It's free. Just go to cbssports.com, the CBS Sports mobile app, or fire up the CBS Sports app on your connected TV and watch yourself become the most in-the-know sports fan on your group text. Bud, you're, you're a golf guy. How's Masters Week kicking off for you? It's going to be pretty awesome, man. I'm, I'm excited about that. We're actually, come my buddies, we're, we're going to have a Masters draft on Wednesday night. Each, each pick a certain number of guys and run a little pool and, and uh, you know, basically get the best scores out of the guys who make the cut. It, it should be pretty fun. How does a, a Masters draft work? Because I've, I've done a March Madness draft and, you know, we don't really do brackets anymore. We do it. We do a draft and we draft teams one through 64 there's eight of us and you have to kind of make sure that you don't get the same teams in the same side of the region and and so but how does a master's draft work so what we're doing is is we have five guys we're each going to pick 12 dudes and then it's the combined score of your top seven right so like we we don't want to penalize you if somebody withdraws or you know but like we're going to take we're going to take your top seven scores if you don't have seven guys make the cut then the best score of the guy who missed the cuts doubled for so he can have a 72 hole score you know so it kind of penalizes you but doesn't totally knock you out it should be pretty cool and then tie break is the highest highest finisher i guess that's awesome i like that i like that well i have to kind of integrate that into you know a couple group chats that i'm in so make sure you have the cbs sports app for all the latest on masters and and this big week over at cbs sports but you've also got another content piece that you're working on over at 24 7 sports and that has to do with tying in records and winning and recruiting success. You know, a lot of fans on on the message boards, especially on Twitter, social media platforms, they want to know how big is is winning in recruiting? How much does it matter to recruits? And I think everyone has a misconception that if we win this game, we're going to get that recruit because he's choosing between this school and that and, and, and the school we're playing, right? And a lot of the times that's that's not the case. There's a lot of other stuff that goes into it. But when you look at the grand scheme of things and the overall winning culture that maybe a, a program has, there is some close ties there with recruiting success as well. Yeah. So I I, I took and, and I, I just pulled like every top 25 class in the early signing period era. And I, I think that's an important like distinction there because the early signing period has really changed some stuff, right? It, it's It's made it you know, a lot tougher for the brand new coach who gets hired and only has like two weeks to to, to call up his current commits and, and then make some phone calls to, to the kids he wants to try to flip or, you know, convince him to hold off to uh, to the traditional February National Signing Day. And so I, I just kind of ran some numbers on this and I did find some, some interesting trends and then some pretty cool outliers. So number one is you really cannot finesse your way into a top two class. There's only been three teams that have signed a top two class in the ESP era, and that's uh, Georgia, Bama, and Ohio State. And all of those teams won at least 11 games uh, before their bowl, with the exception of the 2020 Bama class in 2019. You know, Bama, uh, some, a lot of guys got hurt. They went 10-2 and two before the bowl game. But still, like, if you want to sign a top two class, you need to basically win 11-plus games before the bowl, which obviously I say before the bowl because you know what happens before the bowl? Early signing period. So <laughs> what you do in a bowl game doesn't matter at all to recruiting now. It used to actually matter a little bit. Like if you balled out in your bowl and you looked awesome, you had a lot of positive momentum for the next year. I mean, we know like what, 85% of kids are signing early. Their signatures dry before you even start bowl practice. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter if you win your bowl. I think it matters which bowl you got into. Yeah, agreed. That's a great point. Also, no surprise here, Blair, 
all those teams that won 11 plus games, they were also uh, ranked going into the early signing period in the uh, college ball playoff ranking. So you, you do need to basically have a pretty relevant season if you want to finish top two. But top two is a pretty narrow goal for most teams. And so I, I expanded this like, all right, what if you want to have like a, I don't know, classic kind of that like three to 10 range? And this got really interesting. Like the, this, the the parameters for what you could do in this range, it exploded, man. So normally you need to win like nine games before your bowl if you want to sign a, a top 10 level class. But that's only if you kind of have an established coach. And I think that's something you and I should talk about because what I'm seeing here is that you can actually get a top 10 class winning only like seven games if you have a new coach. You're sort of in that bump class period, that grace period where it's not really about your product on the field. It's more about the vision you can sell and the hope and the hype, you know, and and here's what I see you doing for me in this program. You really haven't had to have those proof of concept years. I mean, you know, Texas 2018, 2019 Texas, 2019 A&M, 2019 LSU all had really good classes in those years, despite the fact that the prior year, they really weren't great on the field, you know, like that, that's something to, to keep in mind here. So you do see programs finish top 10 with like a seven and five record before the bowl game. That's pretty crazy, but it's almost always when you have a brand new coach who, who's selling his program. Well, here's here's one that was outside the top 10, and this is a pretty good example of, of kind of what you're discussing here. LSU in 2018 with Ed Orgeron in his, I guess, his first year at, the, at that time, they ranked 15th nationally in the composite team recruiting rankings, had only nine wins pre-bowl, but they've been on the up ever since then. So LSU finished in the 2019 class, fifth in the composite. The year later, they were fourth in the composite in this last previous 2021 recruiting cycle. They finished third in the composite. So they keep going up and up. Obviously, that's a byproduct of them winning a national championship, having all the NFL success that they've had. And so maybe that's one school to look for, pushing for, uh, or maybe a breakthrough of sorts, right? To get into that top two and and try to get into elite company. I, I definitely think so. You know, the one thing you don't see here is you don't see schools with like established head coaches at that school. So coaches that have coached four, five, six, seven seasons or or more at the school, you don't see them signing top 10 classes when they just came off years in which they won, you know, seven or eight games. And I think the reason for that is is sort of intuitive, right? If you are in year four or year five or year six in a program or, or longer and you only win seven games, you go seven and five pre-bowl, you're probably going to have some job security questions. These kids have heard your message about what you're selling, what you want that vision for your program to be, and yet it's not actually realizing itself on the field. Now, there are some exceptions to that. Like if you just want a national title and you're in a pandemic year, I mean, 2021 LSU class you know, finished top three. And, and if you prorated their wins and kind of looked at what their non-conference was, they were probably still like a seven and five level team. You know, but that's that's pretty rare. And they just came off a national title. So (laughs) most schools don't have that exception. Uh, But yeah, like there's sort of that kind of prove it year. And I think it it used to sort of be year two, year three. But in the early signing period, I think it may be worth discussing whether we should sort of have that proof of concept year, maybe a year back. Maybe it's not year two, year three. Maybe it's year three, year four. I think so too. And I think, you know, typically when college coaches get judged by their ADs or their school presidents and they're trying to figure out if they're going to keep them after that third year, right? Because I, I think everyone now assumes and realizes that you, you only get a couple, maybe three or four years to really turn a program around. I, I think with that pandemic year, it's going to maybe push it back another year. And it's also going to allow 
allow for that coach to make a stronger push for recruits to say, hey, we we have a little extra time. We're doing this the right way. We're turning things around. And, and you know, so so my I guess my question for you is how big do you think this season could be for, for some of these prospects, because I think everyone realizes that 2020 wasn't, I guess, uh, maybe a real year in, in terms of of having, you know, fans in the stands at, at certain stadiums, right? And maybe the circumstances weren't correct with a lot of opt-outs. So the roster makeup, the, the teams weren't the real teams that we would typically see. I mean, just look at Oregon, right? Oregon made it to the Rolls Bowl, won a Pac-12 championship game. They unfortunately were without their their best offensive player, which was Panay Sewell, who's going to be a top 10 NFL draft pick. So how good could they have been had they had their best offensive player, uh, you know, even after losing uh, a Justin Herbert? So I think all of that goes into a recruiting pitch when coaches are, are trying to sell a program. But how, how important could this 2021 season be with winning and recruiting success? I think it's it's really important player because if if you had a bad year last year, I think you are naturally going to want to downplay that bad year and largely blame it on the pandemic. And, and I don't think that's necessarily excuse making. I mean, there were a lot of really weird circumstances last year, especially where you are out west. I mean, you had schools not practicing the whole week and then they they they, they play a game. Some schools played only four games. I, I think it was right. What, what did Washington play four? They had a few games yeah. just completely canceled. So I think if you have a good year this year and you had a bad year last year, I, I think you, hell, take a team like LSU, right? They go national title and then they win, what, three, four games last year, I think it was. If they come out and ball this year on the field, if I'm at Orgeron, I'm saying, look, you know, look, guys, I don't want to do the Coach O voice, I guess. Or, 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 I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you know, but like he's, he's going to say, look, we went national title, crazy pandemic year that was insane for everybody. And we lost like our entire roster or at least our starting lineup. 2021, we're right back at it, right? We're, we're back at an elite level. If they do that, I think their recruiting is going to just be be sky high because that's a pretty easy narrative to sell you know, to recruits. I also wonder, you know, are there teams out there who had a really nice 2020? And then if they kind of flop this year, people might say, eh, I don't know, man, like how much do we really trust those 2020 rankings? I don't know if recruits will look into that that much, but I definitely think the the opposite, the like the LSU example is one we can point to. I think that's a really important year for them, especially. Yeah. And, and Bud, before we let you go, I think the other part of the equation too, with the transfer portal, right? And transfer success, if you are able to sell and, and have kind of a, a really good system going, you're going to be able to attract better transfers, you know, prospects are going to be more susceptible to hopping from one situation to that better situation or to that opportunity that might allow them to take that next step in their development to have a better chance of playing in the NFL to have a bigger chance of of playing time I think all of that is really important so if you're factoring recruiting success with the opportunity to also draw some more mature talent some prospects that are already you know kind of knowing what college is like and, and and have that experience I think that could lead to you even being a, a bigger mainstay because then you're getting players that are ready to contribute right away. I, I don't think there's any doubt. And and this is sort of, I would say, analogous to, like, think about baseball. There are certain teams in baseball where if there's something that you do well, you're going to go to that team because they maximize, you know, what, what you do. Do you right? see like, a lot of pitches? Because I got a great team for you. <laughs> exactly. Right. Oh, man. I mean, like, like, you know, think, think about your, your, your Dodgers guy, right? I am a Dodgers guy. I just don't like to flaunt it because, you know, we've got a lot of shiny things uh, in our life right now. Yeah. 
the, the Dodgers are my NL team. I, I adopted them when uh, I'm, I'm a raised guy, but I was like, all right, can I have an NFL, NL team? Oh, so you, you, know? you were completely torn in October. No, I wasn't torn. I was like, I'll, I'll, root, for, I'll root for the Dodgers when they're not playing, you know, like, like if they're just playing on a random thing. And I like listening to Ben Scully back when he was still doing it. But I just thought it was cool. I wanted to see the Rays approach with money. You know, I was like, all right, so you're going to take the Rays like strategy and philosophy, but actually be able to spend. That's kind of cool. And you know, w- w- when they took the Rays GM uh, Friedman back in the day, you know, that was that was pretty pretty cool to see. You know, see them do that uh, as far as you know their their, their plan coming together. But like, I, I think to your point on the transfers, kind of brings us all the way back around. And if you are a school that is established, you do well with transfers. Like maybe Oklahoma with transfer quarterbacks, right? Now they they're not trying to build via the transfer portal. They're they're trying to you know do a good job in, in quarterback recruiting. And I think they are doing a good job. Obviously, uh, but if you're a school like that, or honestly, any of the in-state schools so far in Florida that have, that have had a lot of success with transfers in recent years, those schools I, I think are, are schools that can benefit if they can set up that track record of hey, like if you're a transfer, you also care about stuff like are you going to get a, a, a an even shot at this starting job? They're bringing me in, but is he going to be biased towards the guy he actually recruited? What does the position coach think of me? I, I think if you establish that you are good with transfers, it can definitely help you be better, you know, with transfers. Yeah, a lot of interesting stuff there. You could check it over uh, at 24-7 Sports from Bud Elliott this week. Bud, it's been a pleasure, and please don't burn your Blake Snell jersey. Oh, man. I can't believe he did that. (laughs) All right, so that is Bud Elliott. You can follow him on Twitter, at BudElliott3. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. We'll be back later this week. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.